So grateful again for the opportunity to be here. I wish y'all could stand up here and see what I'm seeing. <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful sight. The, the singing has been great and uh, appreciate so much the fellowship and the activities of the day. Uh, Yelmer and I, we were going this afternoon to, uh, to study with some of the young men and we were talking about how meetings were when we were growing up and about how that, you know, we would maybe go someplace for a meeting and uh, have a bunch of people there and they'd give the kids a softball and a bat and tell them to go play softball while all the big people did all the important stuff. <laughs> but here at this place, you keep the young people engaged. That not only come here for fun, but they come here for spiritual growth. And I appreciate so much the leadership and, and the people that are involved and the focus that are, that are given to our young people and to, uh, to strengthen them, but not only to strengthen them, but those of us as grown-ups being able to be strengthened in our service to them. And so I want you to know how much I appreciate that and the, and the example that you set for us. And for me as an elder at a little congregation back in Fort Smith, Arkansas, uh, you know, learning a lot of things about how to have a successful meeting this week. And I want you to know that I appreciate very much uh, all of your work. Um, this evening, for a little while, we want to address the subject of progressivism. That's a word that you hear a lot in our culture today. A progressive is someone that advocates or implements social reform through, uh, through the advocation of certain new and liberal ideas. And a lot of times with this uh, idea of progressivism, you hear a lot of words about acceptance and tolerance and things like that. And I, want, I especially want our young people to listen to this very closely. Because whenever you see a movement or a tide flow through our culture, then eventually the Christian believers of that culture want to accommodate that tide and begin to jo join in and try to start their own progressive movement among Christian believers. And so we have a movement today that I refer to and a lot of people refer to as progressive Christianity where there is a move for reform among believers in Christ in order to advocate for liberal beliefs, in order to have acceptance among the culture, and to give access to the Christian faith among those that they deem have been shut out and unfairly treated in the past. Well, whenever the idea of a progressive movement in the church is advocated, one of the first things that we have to deal with, or they have to deal with, is what do we do with Jesus? What do we do with Jesus? And so tonight we want to study just a little bit about the progressive Jesus and the real Jesus. And we hear a lot talked about this progressive Jesus in our world. And tonight we want to look at some of the things that are advocated or taught as the progressive Jesus. And we want to look at what the progressive Jesus supposedly says, and we're going to look at what the real Jesus says. And I have four texts up on the board like I, that I like to call the, the tolerance text of the Bible that speak of Jesus and some of his teachings and his interactions with people that are portrayed to others of how accepting and tolerant that Jesus was of beliefs that were not correct, of lifestyles that were not right, and that you and I as believers in Christ should adopt those same accepting and tolerant attitudes in order to be more inclusive of people in our culture. First of all, let me say, we want to be inclusive of all people in our culture. 
But we want to be inclusive on God's terms and not our terms. And so we want to understand the, the difference between the progressive Jesus and the real Jesus. And we're going to contrast these. And hopefully by the time that we're through with this study, we'll be able to see real clear the difference between the progressive Jesus and the real Jesus so that whenever we go out into the world and we talk with people and we have discussions with them and we hear these sound bites that they give us about the progressive Jesus, we're going to know the real story of the real Jesus. So we're going to look at Matthew 7, Matthew 9, Matthew 22, and John 8. And we're going to go through and do just a a, a textual study so that whenever we are encountered with these passages and these snippets of passages, we're going to be able to understand the full context of the story and we're going to know how to respond and what questions to ask in the proper way. So in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5, The progressive Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. How many of you have ever heard that? You know, you, exactly, you're you're speaking against sin, you're speaking against evil, and well, doesn't the Bible say, judge not that you be not judged? That those are the words of the progressive Jesus. None of us are perfect, we all sin, Therefore, we should all be tolerant and accepting of each other's sin. There should be no rebuke. There should be no correction. There should be no advocation for a standard of what is right and wrong, morally speaking. And we should just keep our mouths shut and go along to get along. Well, that's what the progressive Jesus says. And really, that's what the real Jesus says. Only the real Jesus has a whole lot more to say about this than the progressive Jesus. And whenever we look at the text, we see in Matthew chapter 6, whenever we go back to the preceding chapter, we see the form of teaching that Jesus is using in order to explain these points that he's trying to make in the Sermon on the Mount. And I go back to chapter 6 just so we can see the pattern in Jesus' teaching that will make the teaching in Matthew 7 of the real Jesus very clear to understand. When you look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, Jesus talks about charitable deeds. He begins by saying, don't do your deeds this way to be seen of men, but rather do your deeds this way to be in secret seeking a reward from God. Then he talks about prayer. He says, don't pray this way, blowing a trumpet like the Pharisees do to stand on the street corner and to be seen by men. You pray this way. You go into the privacy of your closet and you pray in secret so that God will reward you openly. Then he says fasting. Don't fast this way. Don't disfigure your face to make yourself appear to men to fast. But whenever you fast, don't do it as the hypocrites. Do it this way so that you don't appear to fast, that you fast in secret and the Lord will reward thee openly. Then he talks about laying up treasures. He says don't lay up treasures like the Gentiles do. Or rather, don't lay up treasures here on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but rather lay up treasures this way. Lay up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust does not corrupt and thieves don't break through and steal. And then he talks about seeking. Don't seek the things of this world that the Gentiles seek after, being worried about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, and what you're going to wear, seeking all of those material things. He says you need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. In the pattern of Jesus' teaching here, what we see is him saying, don't do it this way, do it this way. 
So let's go to chapter 7. Now we all understand that the chapter divisions in the Bible are put there by men. And sometimes they can be a little inconvenient. And they can, they can jump in the middle of a discussion and kind of break the train of thought sometime. But what I want us to understand is that so far Jesus is saying, don't do it this way, but you do it this way. So he says, judge not that you be not judged, for with what measure you judge, you shall be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you again. And notice the particular type of judgment that he's talking about. Just like he talked about charitable deeds, don't do them as the hypocrite. Just like he talked about prayer, don't do it like the hypocrite does. Just like he talked about fasting, don't do it like the hypocrite does. When he talks about judging, he's saying don't do it the way the hypocrites do. Well, how do the hypocrites do it? Verse number three, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? So he's talking about hypocritical judgment where you go around nitpicking everybody else while you have great sin looming large in your own life. And you're not paying attention to yourself, but rather you are scrutinizing and investigating everybody else's life, not for the sake of making them better, but for the sake of trying to make yourself look better. That's a hypocritical judgment. It's a judgment not beneficial for the soul of the person that you're judging, but it's beneficial to your own religious pride and religious ego. Then he says in verse number four, how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. He's saying you have no credibility to judge other people. You have no right, you have no prerogative to go to somebody and say, let me take care of that speck, when you yourself haven't taken care of your own business with the plank in the eye. Notice here the consistency in the style of teaching that Jesus is using. Don't do it that way. Well, Lord, how do we do it? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In verse number one, when he says, judge not that ye be not judged, is he saying you need to be accepting and tolerant of the specks that are in your brother's eye? Is he saying in verse number one, judge not that ye be not judged, that you shouldn't be concerned with the specks in your brother's eye? No, what he says is remove the plank from your own eye. Take care of your own business first. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so whenever Jesus, the progressive Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged, the real Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged, but put yourself in a position where you can effectively judge people, taking care of yourself and being able to help them also. Judge not that you be not judged doesn't mean that whenever you see somebody doing wrong that you don't say anything about it. But rather it means you look at yourself first. Are you taking care of yourself? Are you taking care of your business? Are you in a position to rightfully and spiritually help a brother with their needs? That's what the real Jesus says. So while people want us to believe that the progressive Jesus just simply says, don't look at your brother and make judgments about your brother, the real Jesus says, look at yourself, look at your brother, and if you're in the position to do so, you help your brother get that speck out of their eye. 
Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 to 13. We are told that the progressive Jesus sat at tables with publicans and sinners. <clears throat> you know, a lot of times you will hear this, and I even hear it among church members, you know, they want to go down to the local bar and do karaoke. And then, well, you probably don't need to do that. Well, Jesus ate with publicans and sinners. I don't think Jesus ever did karaoke with publicans and sinners. I think Jesus had another reason for being around publicans and sinners. But we're told that he ate with publicans and sinners. And so therefore, we should, be we should be tolerant and inclusive of all people that want to come to us. And we should go to all people in an accepting and loving and tolerant way. Because that's what Jesus did. That's what the progressive Jesus did. Well, what did the real Jesus do? Well, Jesus, the real Jesus, did sit with tax collectors and sinners. But one of the things I want to notice about this is that the tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him. They knew about Jesus. They knew about Jesus' power. They knew about the ministry of Jesus. And so here Jesus is sitting with his disciples and these people came to Jesus. They didn't come to Jesus so that they could have a normal social intercourse, but rather they came to Jesus purposefully because they had a need. They had a need. And so whenever they came to Jesus and they sat down with Jesus, the Pharisees looked at that and they went over to Jesus' disciples and say, hey, why does he sit with publicans and sinners? And then Jesus is over here, and then he overhears their discussion, and he answers them this way. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. What did Jesus say about those people he was sitting with? Did he say these people are, are okay? Did he go around the table saying, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay, I'm okay, we're all okay, we're all God's children. No, he said they're sick. They're sick. And so by him sitting with them, it was not an acceptance of their lifestyle, but rather it was a recognition that these people are sick and they need help. And I'm the physician. So his sitting with them was not an acceptance of their lifestyle. As some would want us to understand by just simply saying, well, Jesus sat with publicans and sinners. Here's the question you ask. Why did he sit with them? Why did he sit with them? When those publicans and sinners came and sat down, why didn't Jesus just get up and walk off? Because he knew they were sick. And he was the physician. And so he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. What did he say about those people? He said they're sick, and he said they're sinners. That doesn't sound very accepting and tolerant of their lifestyle, does it? Now, we might look at that and say, well, that sounds so unloving. But we speak the truth, and we speak the truth in love. And that's what Jesus was doing. Whenever you're sick and you go to a physician, and they come and they give you the bad news, do you get offended? Are angry at the doctor for the bad news? No, you accept it. 
because it's the truth. It's the reality. And you know that you have to accept it in order to move on to the cure that you desire. These people didn't come to Jesus for acceptance. They came to Jesus for the cure. They didn't come to Jesus for him to pat them on their back and say, oh, that's okay, you go right ahead. No, they came to him because they had sickness in their life, they had sin in their life, and they knew that he was the physician, and so they came to him, and Jesus told the Pharisees, I haven't come to call the righteous but sinners to, and here's the bad word, <laughs> repentance. Repentance. I'm calling them to change. I'm calling them to give up their old ways of living. When those people sat down with Jesus at that table, they didn't sit down and get an endorsement of their lifestyle, but they got a rebuke of their lifestyle and a call to change. That's what the real Jesus did. So while the world wants us to believe that the progressive Jesus endorsed their lifestyle and accepted their lifestyle because he sat down and he ate with them, we see that the story about the real Jesus is something different. He called them people that were sick, he called them people that were sinners, and he called them people that needed to repent. They needed to change. That's the real Jesus. So the next time that you're talking with someone and they tell you, well, Jesus ate with publicans and sinners, ask them this question. Well, why did he do that? Why did he do that? What was he hoping to accomplish by sitting with publicans and sinners? To show how accepting and tolerant he was? To virtue signal to everybody about how good he can be by sitting with these types of people? No, he sat with them in order to change them. That's what the real Jesus does. Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40. The progressive Jesus says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> and so, to love your neighbor as yourself means that you're just going to be loving and accepting of your neighbor, of their beliefs, of their lifestyles, of their conduct, and you're not going to say anything about it because you don't want anything to say, anyone to say anything about your lifestyle or your conduct. <laughs> So love your neighbor as yourself is just kind of a, 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 a way to say that we're, we're all good, we're all okay, and all of our problems would be solved if we just left everybody alone and just loved each other. That's what the progressive Jesus says. What does the real Jesus say? Well, let's look at it. <clears throat> there was a man that came to Jesus and asked him a question in verse 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? The greatest commandment in the law. They asked Jesus a question about the law. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so when Jesus was answering this question, he was answering this question according to the law. And the law said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is only one verse in the old Bible, there is only one verse in the law that says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so when Jesus answered this question, 
his audience immediately in their minds, being Jewish and knowing the law, referred back to that statement in the Old Testament to understand what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, so many times we hear this statement, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, when we go back to the law, the law shows us what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. In Leviticus 19 and in verse number 18, in the law it says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's what the law said. That's the verse that Jesus was referring to whenever he was answering that man on that occasion. And this verse is couched in several different commandments about how we are to treat people. And this verse is kind of the capstone that encapsulates all of the things that Jesus said prior to that. And so all we need to do is be like the Jews would have been, go back to Leviticus 19 and then read, okay, this is what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Does the old law teach to love your neighbor as yourself? Say that you're accepting and tolerant of all types of beliefs and all types of lifestyles? Or does it tell us something different? Well, let's look. Leviticus 19, let's go back to verse number 11. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie one to another. While we're reading this, remember what the Apostle Paul says, that love is the fulfilling of the law. That all of the commandments, all of the commandments are fulfilled in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. So I know that if I love my neighbor as myself, then I'm going to do the commandments that are required in my relationship to my neighbor. And so he says, you shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie one to another. So if I love my neighbor, I'm not going to steal from them. I'm not going to deal falsely with them, and I'm not going to lie to them if I love them. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall remain with you all night, or shall not remain with you all night until morning. So I'm going to deal truthfully with my neighbor. And I'm not going to uh, swear falsely that whenever I give my oath to my neighbor, because I love my neighbor as myself, I'm going to fulfill that oath. And if my neighbor works for me at the end of the day, I'm going to give them the wage that is due them and I'm not going to hang on to that wage until morning. I'm going to give it to them as required by law. You shall not curse the deaf nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. If I love my neighbor, I'm not going to take advantage of them in, in their disability and handicap. That I'm not going to curse at my neighbor because I know that they can't hear me. Or that I'm going to put something in front of a bl my blind neighbor in order to watch them fall and exact some type of sick gratification. <laughs> I'm not going to do that because I love them. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor honor the person of the mighty in righteousness. You shall judge your neighbor. I'm going to be fair and equitable in my judgment with my neighbor. I'm not going to do any injustice and I'm not going to be partial to those that are poor. 
I'm not going to give them special breaks just because they're poor. You know, sometimes we think that whenever we uh, let those that are poor get away with bad things, that we're being merciful to them. That's not being merciful to them. The Bible says if you love them, you're not going to be partial to them. You're going to hold them to the same standard of right and wrong that you're going to hold everybody else to. Nor honor the person of the mighty. If I love my neighbor, I'm not going to give special privileges to those who might be better off. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. So again, I'm not going to go around and tattle and help be a talebearer, and I'm not going to stand against the life of my neighbor. That means to take the stand as a false witness against my neighbor in order that they might be put to death. Notice verse 17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, you shall surely rebuke your brother and not bear sin because of him. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> I thought if we loved our neighbor, then we just, everybody accepts everything and we just love each other and get along. But in the context of this explanation of loving our neighbor, notice what the law said. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor. That if your neighbor is sinning, you go to the neighbor and you tell the neighbor, here's the law, you're sinning. And you do that so that, as it says here, you will not bear sin because of him. Now there's some question as to exactly what that means. Either you bear responsibility in the sin because you're not rebuking them, or you don't rebuke them and you allow that sinful influence to continue so that you end up becoming a participant in that sin. I think the English Standard Version puts it this way. You shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. And so if I love my neighbor, rather than accepting and tolerating sin, I'm going to rebuke them. And whenever Jesus made that statement to the Jews on that occasion, they didn't take love your neighbor as yourself as a, a liberal expression of everybody's okay. They understood in the context of the law, it meant that if somebody is in sin, you rebuke them. Or as the English Standard Version says, you reason frankly with them. <clears throat> so while the progressive Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, live and let live, the real Jesus says, Love your neighbor as yourself, and whenever they're in sin, you reason frankly with them about their sin, lest you end up bearing that same sin yourself. That's what the real Jesus says. And then lastly, John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. The progressive Jesus says, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. How many of us have heard that one a lot, you know? That he that is without sin cast a stone. This is the woman taken in adultery. She was taken in adultery. She was taken in the very act. And so Jesus said, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And so the reasoning is that the progressive Jesus tells us that we all have sin in our life, and so none of us have a right to throw stones. So we just let everybody go. Well, that's what the progressive Jesus says. What does the real Jesus say? 
Well, the real Jesus knew that whenever those people brought that woman that had been taken in the very act, that they were testing him, that they might have something with which to accuse him. They were trying to entrap Jesus. And so the question that they asked wasn't a question that was given out of a genuine pretense, but rather it was given in an effort to try to trap Jesus in order to bring Jesus down in the eyes of the people and ultimately destroy him and his influence. And so he knew the purpose behind the question. And so whenever they asked it, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he didn't hear them. And so when they continued to ask him, he raised himself up again and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Now there's been some question as to exactly what does that mean. Well, the first thing, one thing that we know that it doesn't mean is that you have to be perfect before you address the specks in other people's eye. <laughs> Under the old law, in Deuteronomy 17, perfection was not a requirement for throwing stones in the stoning of a person. Perfection was not a requirement. And so we can rule that out, that Jesus means that nobody's perfect, so we just all need to keep our mouths shut and leave each other alone and just live and let live. That's not what he means. Under the old law, whenever a person was to be stoned, they were to be stoned, first of all, by the witnesses that came forth against that person. So if you were going to be a witness against somebody, as in this case, a woman in adultery, and you wanted to bring her and have justice done on her in order to prove the authenticity of your witness and your, and your, uh, you know, your strength behind that witness, you were the one that had to throw the stone first. And so whenever Jesus says, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her, he's not saying that, well, if you're perfect, you throw a stone. This is what I think he's saying. <clears throat> you know, we're dealing with a capital offense here, adultery. Adultery under the old law was a capital offense. The woman was to be stoned. The man was to be stoned. And an obvious question in this text is, where is the man? Where is the man? Some speculation that it was one of the men that entrapped the woman. But we don't know for sure. But for whatever reason, these people that brought this woman in adultery, possibly in some way, somehow, were guilty in the entrapment of this woman. Or maybe even themselves in their past had, had committed a capital offense. Maybe adultery or some other capital offense. And they themselves were spared. And so whenever Jesus says, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first, maybe they realized in their heart that there was a time when we could have been stoned for our sin. Now stoning at this time was forbidden by Roman law. But nonetheless, the fact would be that they themselves would have been spared. And quite possibly then they realized the mercy that had been granted to them. And so while they were wanting to be quick to destroy this woman that was taken in adultery, they realized that they themselves had been guilty of capital offenses and they had no credibility in order to participate in the, in the destruction of this woman. And so they dropped their rocks and they're convicted in their conscience and then they turn and walk away. 
And what we're to take from that is that Jesus is saying, woman, adultery is okay. These people are just narrow-minded. They don't want to be inclusive. They're just too conservative. That's not what we're to take from that. And that's not what the woman was to take from that. What was the woman to take from that? When Jesus had raised himself up and he saw that no one but the woman was there, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And then she said, No one, Lord. Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Why did Jesus show this woman mercy? In order for her to continue an adulterous lifestyle? No. He showed her mercy in order to reform her life. The same reason that he has shown you mercy and he has shown me mercy. In order for our lives to change. Not to give acceptance of the lives that we had before, but in order that our lives would change. So while the progressive Jesus said, let he that is without sin among you cast the stone at her, the real Jesus says, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Young people, any representation of Jesus to you that says that sin is okay is a false representation and is to be rejected as a lie. Please understand that. And don't let people come around with these snippets of scriptures that misrepresent Jesus and make Jesus into something that Jesus is not. The real Jesus. Yes, the real Jesus did say, judge not that you be, or the progressive Jesus did say, judge not that you be not judged. But you know what? The real Jesus said that too. And then the real Jesus also said, you remove the speck from your brother's eye. That's why we are in a body of believers, to be accountable to one another, to have people to look for those specks in our eyes whenever we can't see them. That's a gift from God. That's a blessing of mercy from God in order to keep us pure as we live in this world. Yes, the progressive Jesus sat with publicans and sinners. But you know what? The real Jesus sat with publicans and sinners. And the real Jesus sat with them in order to call them to repentance, to change of life. That if your life is not a life that is according to truth, then you're a sinner and you need to change. That's what the real Jesus says. Yes, the progressive Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. But the real Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he points them back to the law in order for them to understand what loving their neighbor was really all about. And part of loving that of your neighbor is to rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. That's the real Jesus. <clears throat> Yeah, the progressive Jesus said, let he that is without sin among you cast a stone. But the real Jesus said that. And the real Jesus also told that same woman that he showed mercy to, you go and you sin no more. Don't believe the lie of progressive Christianity. Don't wear the colors of a liberal movement in the name of the progressive Christ that is an affront to the real Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is very clear. The real Jesus is very clear. And don't be deceived by all of the slogans and all of the cute little phrases and the sound bites, but be students of the Bible, understand who the real Jesus is, believe in the real Jesus, serve the real Jesus, preach the real Jesus, and be a disciple of the real Jesus. So I hope as we look at this this evening <clears throat> that you can see the difference between the progressive Jesus and the real Jesus. The progressive Jesus is the Jesus that says, I love you, we're all okay, I've got enough grace to cover everything, you go do you, and I'll take care of everything. Whereas the real Jesus says that I came into the world to save sinners. That except you believe in me, you will die in your sins. That he calls us to be disciples and to accept his lordship in our life and to live out and follow his truth. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you need to know the real Jesus. The real Jesus that came from heaven and came to this earth. And you may be sitting there right now and you see things in your life and you have sin in your life. Don't sit there and think that it's okay. Because if you were sitting across the table from Jesus with all of those other publicans and sinners, you know what he'd say to you? You're a sinner. You're sick. That's what he would say to you. And you know why he would say that? Because he loves you. And he desires to see you in a right relationship with God. Jesus accepts all people, but he accepts all people to change all people in order to be like him. So if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you need to look seriously at your life. And don't believe in this progressive Jesus because whenever judgment comes, it's not going to be the progressive Jesus that's sitting on the throne. It's going to be the real Jesus. It's going to be the real Jesus that died on the cross, that shed his blood, and then you're going to one day stand before him and have to answer to what you did with that sacrifice of the real Jesus. But Jesus, I thought everything was going to be okay. Jesus, I didn't know you were that serious about sin. Look real close at your life. Believe in the blood of Jesus to take away your sin, to pay the price for your sin. Confess Him as the Son of God. Come to Him in baptism to be made a new creature. That's what Jesus wants for you. That's what Jesus wants for you. If you're here tonight and you are a Christian, it's real easy to fall into the trap of the progressive Jesus to take Jesus for granted, to be complacent with your life, to know that you've got sin in your life and all of the time in the back, you know, well, you know, I really need to do something, but I think Jesus will take care of it. Jesus will take care of it. It's, it's, it's not a good thing to take Jesus for granted. It's not a good thing to take God for granted. As the Hebrew writer said, our God is a consuming fire. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of of the living God. Don't take God for granted. Don't take Jesus for granted. Understand the gravity and the seriousness of your sin. And if you're grappling with sin and you're struggling with sin, you have a congregation of believers here ready to support you and to help you. 
in order that you might walk with the real Jesus and know the true life that comes from Him. So if you're here this evening and you feel it on your heart to express to this congregation your desire, we want you to know that now is the perfect time and opportunity. You have no guarantee for tomorrow. All you have is right now. Use this time to respond to the real Jesus. We'd ask you to come as we stand and sing.